This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Canyon Shayer. It was recorded at Philadelphia Distilling in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Philadelphia Distilling and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Philadelphia Distilling. I'm joined by Kenyon Shayer. Kenyon, welcome to the podcast. We've been so excited to have you. It's been a long time. Yeah, I'm, I can't wait. This is going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be great. Now, Talk a little bit about how Philadelphia Distilling got started. How did everything come about to where we are today in Philadelphia? Absolutely. It's a really it's a really good story. So it started out, actually, believe it or not, with an uncle and a nephew team. So the uncle is Andrew Awerda. He's our president and co-founder of Philadelphia Distilling. He has pretty much a history of being a serial entrepreneur for his professional career. Gotcha. Um, and before Philadelphia Distilling, he had a cosmetics company in Manhattan called Tony and Tina. And so he, like I said, has been an, an, a serial entrepreneur. He sold this company, right place, right time. He was looking for a new project. His nephew, Robert Castle, was a brewer at Victory. And so he came up to Andrew and was like, hey, listen, I think that over the next 10 to 15 years, craft brewing is going to explode. There's going to be craft breweries on every single corner. It's going to completely take over the country. And I think the next big thing is going to be craft stilling. So... Andrew. Was there anything that, I mean, other than his just entrepreneurial insight, was there anything that kind of gave him a clue about that happening? Because this was established in 2005. Right. We're not, not the current location in Philadelphia, but up 95 a little bit in the Northeast. Exactly. But what was it that kind of tipped him off? Do you have any idea? I think, to be honest with you, I think that he had always kind of had an interest in the space. And really, you know, he was ready for a next kind of big project. And his nephew seemed really confident in this kind of new idea, which was craft distilling, um, which really in 2004, 2003, wasn't really even a term. No, there was nobody. I mean, and again, Robert is obviously the, the understanding is one of the, one of the pioneers in Pennsylvania Absolutely. for craft distilling yeah. and, and pretty much helped to set up some of the laws that we have today, some of the processes, some of the ways to work within the government, you know, entities to set up a distillery like we were at. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he, you know, the laws fundamentally shifted in 2005 when the company was founded. When they went to apply for a distilling license, there was no application and there was no process. Yeah, nobody knew what form do you fill out, right. you know? There was no form. So the state had to create a form, create a license, and then in 2005, the 
they opened their doors in, in Byberry in Northeast Philly. Right. Um, but in 2000, the laws shifted a little bit. 2012, PA shifted where any brewery, winery, or distillery could sell anything that they were making. So, like, they have a proper little bottle shop. They could do tours. People could taste. Before 2012, you couldn't. If you came to the distillery, you couldn't taste anything legally. We weren't allowed to give you even a free taste. Can you imagine? Hey, look at all this stuff in our bottles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, buy it somewhere else. Right. You know, I mean, that's take l- it, take it, and try it somewhere else. Which was the joke we always tell on the tours, which is like you know, unless you had a like a commanding interest in plumbing or like engineering, you re- there was really no reason to visit us before 2012, and so that. Very that shifted in 2012. Um, we instituted the three dollar bottle rebate, so people could come to the distillery, exchange their bottles, gives them another reason to visit Northeast Philly. Um, but then the real change was in 2016. So 2016 was the time where any brewery, winery, or distillery could sell anything alcoholic as long as it was made in PA. So this gives us an opportunity to create a craft cocktail bar, serve Pennsylvania-made you know wine and beer and have more of a proper front-of-house operation for the distillery and kind of expand it into the, into the space that we are today. Now, understanding with the inception of the distillery and not too much out there, how did they determine the equipment they needed? How did they source a lot of their grains? What was the process for yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the gentleman that just went downstairs, uh, Aaron Selya, he is our current head distiller. Um, and during the transition... He says that it's uh, one of his most proud achievements is that he's planned out the distillery because we moved from this little warehouse in Northeast Philly to this pretty sizable warehouse in Fishtown, um, and it needed to be completely renovated. So he designed a space that is designed to sustain our growth for the next 25 years in the same space. And so that's going to mean eventually, as soon as I'm sure we're going to you know get to that point, but... Um, Eventually, we're going to need to renegotiate our license when we reach a certain volume. So we'll go from a craft distiller to a full distillery license, and no one's done that in the state of Pennsylvania ever. That's actually actually exciting to think about the growth process and when you might hit that. It's Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a little bit, you know, that timeline has shifted significantly right now, but the um, we're on track. I mean, you know, not to get too deep into the heady numbers, but last year... We sold around 38,000 cases in the country, and so we're the number one uh, craft selling gin in the country next to, and then, you know, number two is aviation, uh, and they sold 18,000 cases. It's, when you start to think about those numbers yeah. from a craft idea, and I have a lot of conversations with people about craft distilling because people see you open the doors, you build this nice, you know, facility in Fishtown. This is a gorgeous location. Thank you. Um, you've got so much going on here. You've got the outside that you work with. You've got the inside. You've got the fourth floor for um, doing uh, parties, banquets, uh, gatherings, and things like that. Absolutely. But people don't recognize that what looked what it looked like in two thousand and five, yeah. when you're hammering out just you know where to put the still and how to source your grains. What was what was the what was that like? Do, do you have a sense of that? Yeah, no, absolutely. So the we were lucky. I mean, well, first of all, very lucky for this space. And we joined into this. History has been a huge part of our company since the beginning. Um, Andrew talks time and time again that he's been constantly inspired by the founding fathers of, of America and American history. And it's obviously translated, you know, and transcended through our brand. But for starting this distillery, we're lucky that we have a relationship with Forsyth's. It's uh, the manufacturer of our stills. So the first still that still makes all of our blue coat is a 1,500-liter copper pot still from Roths, Scotland, from Forsyth's. They've been making hand-hammered copper pot stills for five generations. It's, it's incredible. But we now have two more stills from them. 
So designing the still platform, getting those stills to be manufactured to spec, they, they make each one every single time to the spec of the distiller who's ordering them, or I guess the organization that's ordering them. Um, but really, you know, if anyone, when they have the chance to come visit us again, the distiller... And they will. <laughs> oh, they, they, de- they definitely will. The, the distillery looks like a like this circuit board of pipes that's beautifully housed by this warehouse. And that really, I think, was the achievement that Aaron's talking about, is understanding how to grow the production of Blue Coat, but then do it in a way that makes sense and also that they can still make Blue Coat taste like Blue Coat. Because that's probably the biggest challenge that he talks about as a craft distiller is growing in volume, but also making sure that each bottle tastes the right, same. You don't get away from your... That's what got you the recognition. That's right. why people come back to you in 38,000 cases. That's why people want to drink Blue Coat yeah. versus something else. Because when they open up the bottle, they know what they're going to get. And it's a great product to have. Yeah, Thank you. I mean, I agree. And this was one of... I mean, I'm from Philadelphia. This was the gin that I learned how to bartend on. It was this in Beef Theater behind the bar at uh, Dandelion downtown. Well, that's that's quite a disparaging comment. <laughs> it was, it's, well, it's I mean, it was I mean, in in my eyes, it was cool. I, you know, I was newly 21 behind the bar, and then there's this gin where people are like, "Yeah, people don't really drink this yet, but like, you need to learn about it." Here's the classic, and here's one that's made in Philly. And so I've always been around Blue Coat. And it wasn't until, you know, obviously a few years ago when this distillery was built that I had the opportunity to learn much more about it. But You know, you, you bring up a fascinating point in, in, in being a bartender yeah. and something new coming to the scene. Because, again, you go back to that time when, when bars were starting to bring on or hesitantly starting to bring on a craft spirit they knew nothing about. I think it's, you know, one of those things where a new um, auto manufacturer releases a, a, a new model and... You kind of like it, and there's a buzz about it. Yeah. You're just not sure what the reception is from the community <laughs> that's going to be. And and what you realize is, especially with something like Blue Coat at the time, you've got a specifically, fundamentally different product. than what. That's why I said different right. – you know, you're talking about different gins and different things like that, like Beef Eater and, you know – as a well product, right. if you say, give me a gin and tonic and you're not sure what you want to drink, if you want to drink Beef Eater or something like that, that's fine. But then you've got something like Blue Coat that you're introducing, you're learning about, yeah. and, and, and then bringing that to the public, it's a whole different world from, from what we know today. Well, and you bring up a good point. I mean, Beef Eater and a gin and tonic, Beef Eater and a martini is fantastic. And I think that what's most important when people start to learn about spirits, especially for myself, the people that taught me how to bartend and taste spirits was find what you like about something because there's people that have spent their entire lives making these products, you know? So, like, for Beef Eater, it's been around for a very long time. And there's time. a reason why, right? right? Because it's really good. And then, so, as a young bartender, I remember... Actually, I remember the first... My bar manager saying, if people don't think they like gin, give them a little taste of this and see what their reaction is. And then when I was able to taste it, finally, I got what they meant because it is very different than, than London Dry Gin. And... I think that also it's something that speaks to Andrew and, and the way that this company was founded is that they weren't afraid to really, I mean, revolutionize what it means to create a new category. I mean, this is the original American dry gin. So it's the first gin to say on it, American dry. And so kind of being that benchmark for that new category is very different than London dry gin, but really it's a bit softer and it's a bit more floral and it's honestly a bit more approachable for people that maybe don't 
they, you know, we joke at the distillery, especially behind the bar, like people that had a really terrible gin experience when they were like 15 and drank half a bottle of gin because it's what, of course. you know, was around. Yeah. Um, and then we... Tangerine and seven up, man, that'll, that'll, that'll knock you out on a, on a, on a good night. <laughs> especially, when, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if it's your first experience with something, you think like, oh, I'm allergic to this or I really, I don't like this. And then when you come to a place and they're like, that's all they do, right. a lot of people leave or they try to leave. They're like, oh, you do gin, we're going to leave. Well, why don't you hang for one sec? We'll make you a cocktail and see what you think. So, so Blue Coat, it's interesting because this conversation right now is Blue Coat was the inspiration for a lot of distillers now, not only in Philadelphia, but throughout the country yeah. to say, wow, they're doing something like that. I could do something like that and bring my own spin on it. Right. But also from a standpoint that when does like, – we? I have – look. That conversation about I don't like gin, or yeah. I've had a bad experience with gin, sure. or I don't like the London dry gins. Mm-hmm. Are you seeing that conversation start to soften now from a standpoint where people are starting to say, I don't like those gins from my youth, but I couldn't wait to try yours, or I, I like the new American style gins. Are you seeing a, a, a fundamental idea shift in people's conversations and minds, or is it still the same, I don't like gin, get that away from me? You know what's funny? It's like, I, I would say maybe... If, uh if we we're going to talk about it like the way that we would build a cocktail, right? It's like two parts no and one part yes. Okay. You know, so like <laughs> usually people come to the distillery and they're the cool thing about this place is that it's very it has a unique draw because it's next to a a music venue. Yes. It's in one of the you know clearest, clearly most emerging neighborhoods in the country, and it's two minutes from you know the historical district in Philadelphia. So it's a major visitor center. In fact, we were lucky this this year we. Where uh, we won best visitor attraction from Gin Magazine. Oh, very cool! Yeah, which was awesome, um, and we're very thankful for that. But another feather in the cap. Right? Yeah, right. It's it's great because you guys just keep collecting accolades, which is wonderful. <laughs> you do. We're, it's luck. We're lucky that we're on a, such a good team that we have this space, and it's you know we have most importantly a product that I think people really like. But to answer your question, no, people come and they they have an idea of what gin is, and and they're very shocked. We have a challenge cocktail, which is the Gimlet. Fresh lime juice, a touch of simple syrup, and blue coat. And that's the one where pretty much every bartender says, I'm going to make you something. This is for people that can't stand gin. Okay. I'm going to make you something, and if you don't like it, it's totally fine. We're going to – don't worry about it. We're going to take care of it. And if you do like it, why don't you maybe hang out? And we – in three years, it's pretty amazing. We've had a 100% success rate. Wow. Which is in, incredible. So now, now you're going to have people listen to the podcast and – and challenge. Yeah, come on. We're, we're happy. I've heard about this challenge. <laughs> we're happy for the challenge, for sure. That's awesome. So, I mean, again, you're making a style of gin that's unique to America, to the United States. Yeah. And being on the the forefront of that, what from that standpoint was the was how did people receive that initially? Do you do you have a sense of that? You know, it's a good question, and I think that really. Um, maybe the next time we're on the podcast, I'll have a better answer for you. Okay. Because I'll get to talk to Andrew a little bit more gotcha. about that. But I think that um, what I do know is that he, I mean, literally went around to bartenders in Philadelphia to start and was like, hey, we're making this. Why don't you give it a try and see what you think? And then really it was a, it was a shift from PA to DC to Jersey and Delaware were like kind of the first markets where he, he meaning Andrew and, you know, the first members of our team went into these bars and were just like, hey, we have a new product. We want to get your opinion on it. Here's a bottle. Just taste it. And, I mean, the response was, luckily, overwhelmingly positive. I mean, that's kind of the thing about Blue Coat, and obviously we're going to get into the nitty-gritty. I don't want to do 
uh, too not much. Too yet. Yet. Not too far yet. But the uh, the proof is a little bit is a little bit beefed up. It's ninety four proof, and it will always be ninety four proof. Which again is unique because a lot of distillers right now, or most of the distilled gins that you see on the market, maybe touch one ninety. Mm-hmm. But some of them, some of them are mostly between eighty and ninety, but eighty eighty five somewhere in there. And it's it's fascinating because its flavor profile is softer, but the proof is a little bit. Maybe not more aggressive, but it's a, it's got a little bit more substance to it. So it stands up in classic gin cocktails like Negronis, Gimlets, Tom Collins. I mean, my favorite's the Martini, but it has this more approachable, like overall flavor profile. And so you get this combination of things that makes it a perfect foundation for for cocktails, which is why I think, especially myself, years ago, really gravitated towards it. But it, it's made for a really interesting past three years coming up with cocktails for. For Blue Coat. And now, now, you yourself, you, you were a bartender. That's how you were introduced to Blue Coat. I think I'll always be a bartender. In some way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah. But, but how, was, how was Blue Coat introduced to you? How did you make your way here to where you are today? Oh, to the distillery? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, that's actually... Because you've, you've, you've worked in different bars yeah. prior to here. I, I grew up in Philadelphia. I've worked in a bunch of different bars here in the city. And um, I was actually going to stop bartending. My brother is a ballet dancer, and he was traveling pretty heavily, and... I was thinking that, you know, there's no time like the now to go travel and just kind of figure it all out. This was four, almost four years ago now. And the guy who taught me how to bartend, his name is Pete Venuto. He's the GM at Charlie Was a Sinner and has been for a long time. He said, hey, listen, um, our beverage manager is going to be the GM there, I think. And they might have a job. It could be something pretty cool. Why don't you go check it out? And so I had gone in there for a cocktail. I met Christine, um, who was the original beverage manager here. And... She said, yeah, well, we're setting up interviews. I was like, sure. And so I was, high, I was interviewed on January 4th of 2017, and uh, I was hired on the 6th. And then uh, it was just actually us two for the whole front of house for the first month. Uh, or maybe the first, I don't know. It definitely seemed like a month at that point. but <laughs> It was three days, but it couple, seemed like a month. <laughs> yeah. it was, it, I think at least a couple of weeks. And then obviously the rest of the front of house team came on, but I immediately fell in love. It was the first bar that... I really got to be involved in from the ground up. I, I want to go back to something. Please. You said that you were thinking about leaving the industry, traveling with your brother. Well, not necessarily leaving the industry, just traveling. Okay, but what was, what was from where we are today, what was that one like switch that made you decide to stay and come here yeah. versus doing the traveling? I'll be honest. I mean, I had kind of been, I kind of stopped learning in the industry and I was just kind of bouncing around bars just to make money. And I was maybe hitting my like little low stride there in the okay. industry. And I think it happens. Definitely happens for a, a lot it of my colleagues. happens in everything. Everything, yeah. everything you do. But, but look, bartending, it's, it's, it's night in, night out. Right. It's a grind. It's a totally You're on your feet all the time. Your hands are wet all the time. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. It's a real thing. So um, I was thinking of traveling. I haven't traveled that much. I said, you know, there's no harm in doing an interview. It's always good skills and you get to meet new people. So I decided to come. And if anything, I would get to check out the space before it was open. So I came in and uh, luckily, like a lot of the guests that come here for the first time, it was overwhelming walking through the door. I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful space. And I got to go behind the bar before the interview and we have one of the coolest bars ever. Oh, it's a gorgeous bar. Thank you. And it's it is because you, you've won one of the top fifteen best bars in in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, it's, to be honest with you, it, it, 
that I think in conjunction of seeing the space, seeing the distillery, I'd never seen anything like it before. I'd never been to a distillery before. And, um, I had my interview with Andrew in what is now the kitchen, where there was no kitchen. There was only a hood and a six foot table. Um, and we just sat across from each other and he asked me a bunch of questions. And then I got to take another trip behind the bar and see what the setup was like. And I was like, there's no way I'm not, there's no way I'm leaving Philadelphia right now. It's really a tribute to whoever designed the space. Yeah. And the thought that went into it, because you're right, when you walk into the front area where you can you could purchase the gin or, or your other spirits, you got vodka, yeah. you've got um, Amaro, you've got a lot of things going on down there. Yeah. But there's there's like this small opening to what you then see with the glass behind the bar, the copper bar, this beautiful space with, with the way the bottles are positioned. And you, you hit something about how the whole setup for the distillery was designed. Yeah. Because I think visually, it may have just been, hey, we need pipes to run here and, and, and this to run there so we can continue to produce what we're producing. Right. But visually, it really works for the whole the whole setup as to what you're trying to accomplish. I, I really appreciate I mean, we really appreciate that. It's When I say we're lucky, I mean, it's, it's a... It's almost like, I don't know if that was an accident or was a planned accident, <laughs> or it's like, holy cow, this really looks artistic. If we light it this way and we do this, yeah. this looks this looks really cool at different times of the day. There was definitely a lot of thought that went into it. It was a, we hired a design company for downstairs called Groundswell. They're a Philadelphia-based company. They were phenomenal. Um, but Andrew's been kind of in charge of the aesthetic since the inception of the company. And so he's definitely got a vision for things. And I think that um, there, was a, there was a gentleman that used to work for our company who's fantastic he lives in Lancaster his name's uh, Chris Chamberlain and he was one of our like original brand ambassadors and amongst many other things and I think it was him and maybe one other person that convinced Andrew that the bar needed to be in front of the stills originally it was I think supposed to be around the elevator okay and it was one of those early things where he was like this is the show because like the back bar. Well, that would have been whole totally different. The bar being over in that other area. I don't think that, that it, it yeah. wouldn't have been the same visually appealing, stimulating, overwhelming, really pleasant view of what you see today. I don't ever think that it would have happened. I think that someone down the line would have said, like, whether it was Andrew or whomever, they would have said, this is where the bar needs to go. But yeah, it's it, having the back bar be the sills is the best, the best part about it. So you come in here, you are one of the first people that get to really help this grow, the operation come together. You're at the head bartender at that point, right? Yeah, I was no. Welcome, welcome to the team here. Sure. Start mixing stuff. Yeah, it was <laughs> funny. I, I was not hired as the head bartender. And then I think about a weekend, it was like, yeah, you're the head bartender. <laughs> okay. I was like, great, let's do it. I'm very happy for that. And so that was, that was it. Um, yeah, and it was, it was a very small team, some of which are still here. And we are lucky. Like, it's, uh, it's been a major, major program and it's it's shifted a bunch of you know obviously like things do changed a lot over the last three years but you know being a part of that change and seeing the way that it's all developed especially over the last year it's been pretty special now coming to philadelphia distilling becoming the head bartender what goes into as you start to think about the cocktails you change the cocktails seasonally yeah what goes into your building of cocktails i mean do you guys do it as a team now you know, how does that work? Do you say, hey, you come up with three ideas, you come up with three ideas? Yeah. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's a really great question. I think that we've been lucky from the beginning that we always, we decided that, you know, the goal was to showcase Blue Coat and was to showcase how versatile the spirit it can be. And we wanted to be a cocktail bar, but we, we made sure that from the beginning, this was a distillery that had a cocktail bar that 
served awesome snacks. Okay. So that's <laughs> okay. The, I, I wouldn't have thought served awesome snacks. That's right. great. <laughs> so that, that's like the idea is that we the forefront will always be that we are a distillery. We're the first craft distillery in Pennsylvania since right. Prohibition, and we also make some of the best cocktails, and we also have some of the best food. So it's keeping in line with those those focus and points. And I think the food program has come along. Oh, you're for right. sure. I mean, you didn't, you know, it was, I think a lot of cases are for what you were doing, when you opened, people wanted food, but yeah. it was limited. Very. Like, initially, we just had food trucks. Um, my friend that had a smoking tacos food truck was Steve and Greg. They were outside, and, and then we had a couple different chefs. Um, one, Ari Miller, who was awesome right in the beginning and he really like made food happen when there was no kitchen I mean he did some really cool stuff um, he's now got a restaurant called Moosey uh, down in South Philly um, people are going to love you you're just giving everybody plugs everybody's going to you <laughs> I, know that's, that's the I mean which again I'm sure people come in and say hey listen this is a great spot where else should we go right right I mean that's part of it I mean I think the whole especially in Philadelphia over the last couple of years things have really really changed maybe when I was coming up there was uh, learning how to like craft cocktail bartend there wasn't exactly the same uh, let's say community, and now it's just so strong. People are like, "Hey, I made this syrup, and here's the recipes. Try it, see what you think." Before that would be like, "There's no way." I think that's fascinating because when you look at Philadelphia, yeah, and and look, the first thing that hit in Philadelphia back in the early, you know, late 1900s, early 2000s, was how the restaurant scene started started to come up. Absolutely, and then you started to see the craft brewing scene start to come up. Yeah. You start to see the craft distillery scene, but you bring up a wonderful perspective about the idea that Philadelphia is now generating these beautiful craft cocktail bars and where people are going to get not just, you know, flavor, yeah. but visually appealing. And I think it's one thing to touch on that's really important about what you do here at Blue Coat is you're also buying the show. You are... It's not just... Right. I always find that I want to watch you make my cocktail. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? That no, no, totally. People, that's where it's, that's where it's, I think it's it's even risen to another level. It's, right. It's brought up to the sense of, if I'm going to order that cocktail, I want to watch them make it because that's really part of what I'm getting from the flavor, the the aromas, the everything that goes, the, the garnish, all that. I think, you know, you bring up a really good point. I mean, it's, I would love to say that that is... Because when we first started, that was, of course, this like focus. We're going to make cocktails that that support Blue Coat, that showcase how versatile it can be, and we're going to show everyone. And that's just not the way that people. That's not the way that the entire guest, um, you know, pool wants to experience cocktails. And that was a big change. I get to think for me and our team is that we needed to be able to make drinks for everyone that came in, and not just the people that, like we're talking about, like you and I could sit at the bar for way too long and have way too many cool cocktails but there's a lot of people that come in they're with their friends and they they like to be in a really cool space and they like to feel comfortable right and that's really the biggest thing is that the cocktails are approachable and we're in a comfortable space and they can have a good time and if they want to see a really cool show we will give them a fantastic I have to tell you, show I've changed my mind like on what the next cocktail might be because I saw somebody making a cocktail sure and I said wow that's the one I want yeah. next yeah. just because of the way it was constructed yeah um and, 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 and just how it how it came about to get in the glass and, and be put in front of me. I, I think that, like, you know, if we stick with the show analogy, like, it's just about giving people sort of like that all-access pass rather than just, like, the ticket. So, like, the whole, you know, if they have the, the whole all-access pass, they can sit in the lounge and they can have a, a really nice, like, little happy hour with their friends. And if they want to kind of experience more, 
then we have this awesome craft cocktail show. And then probably arguably more important behind us is the biggest show. I mean, it's right. huge 1500 liter copper pot stills. Well, huge for us anyway. Um, that are literally, the, it's the source for the spirits. So you have the source and like literally the foundation for the spirit, the people making it behind the glass, the bartenders crafting the cocktails, and then the, uh, the show going on in the, in the tasting room. So what kind of challenges? I mean, this is going back four years since you joined Philadelphia Distilling about... Yeah, maybe three and a half. Three and a half. Yeah. So what's some, what, is, what are some of the challenges you faced coming in here and yeah. you know, some of the learning curve or, or some of the things that you, know, you, you kind of started to put your stamp on and it just kind of went a different direction? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say that the biggest challenge is this is such a specific job and it, it looks very similar to a lot of craft cocktail bars, to a lot of front of house concepts, but there's other challenges that are included in hosting tours and really using Blue Coat. Uh, and our spirit portfolio is the foundation for cocktails is it is a different approach than than getting behind a bar and making a great drink because what our goal is is trying to feature these spirits and also you know in the best case scenario provide some sort of educational component so why does that blue coat gimlet taste so good and we can tell you exactly why but that's not necessarily the focus of being a car you know craft cocktail bartender so one of the biggest challenges was making an approachable cocktail menu that featured, you know, our limited line of spirits. When I say limited, I mean we're a gin-focused, botanical-driven distillery, so we don't have any whiskey and we don't have any tequila and we don't have any rum, you know, we don't have any sugarcane-based spirits or agave-based spirits here at the distillery. So how do we make these cocktails that people really love but make them approachable and make them have blue coat as the foundation? So we've come up with lots of variations on classic cocktails using the barrel finished and now the elderflower and of course the American dry that um, we were lucky to say that people try and then they go to other cocktail bars and they, they say, well, I actually liked the, the gin version of this scotch cocktail maybe a little bit better. Um, Which is a nice twist yeah. where people wouldn't have thought of doing that. But then with what you have, you can say, let's do this rather than a whiskey right? and see how it comes out. And that's a testament to our team. I mean, we have, for instance, um, and this not to say that you know, if we take, for instance, like the penicillin, classic blended scotch cocktail, it comes from New York. It's one of the, you know, kind of neo-classics that people talk about, but it's ginger, lemon, honey, blended scotch with a float of Isla scotch on top. It's unbelievably amazing. And for us, we wanted to make that cocktail, but we don't have any smoky things. So one of our bartenders who is now an assistant distiller, Jack, made, he heads up our bitters division. So they're called Jack's Bitters. And so he made a black cardamom bitters that provides the earthiness and smokiness that an Isla Scotch would, uh, well, relatively speaking, for our gin. And then we used the barrel finished. And then we had to craft the syrups and the juices in a way that didn't necessarily overshadow the, the foundational piece, which is the, the spirit. But we get to make these classics, but they're new classics now. They're not, you know, necessarily just the, the original. So I don't want to let that get glossed over. Yeah. You have your own bitters program here. Yeah. How many bitters are you making on your own now that you, you, you incorporate in your cocktails? So that's probably the other biggest challenge of this program is that we really only get to use spirits that are made here in Pennsylvania. Right. So Jack's working on, right now we have, I think, five spirits that we make here that we only use behind the bar. Eventually, we'd love to see them in the bottle shop as a Philadelphia distilling spirit only, only for sale in PA, only for sale at the distillery. The, the Jack's Bitters. Well, the Jack's Bitters are currently in, in there. Sorry. So the That's Jack's, okay. Jack's Bitters, we've got uh, aromatic and citrus, which is what we use for our old-fashioned. 
Um, but the cool thing is the aromatic is a little bit not as aggressive as Angostura, the classic cocktail bitters, because it's meant to work with, you know, these softer, more mellow, more citrus-driven spirits. So it's not going to give you that punch of baking spice. It's going to be the aromatic push that you need for these spirits. The citrus is the same citrus blend in Blue Coat. So it, when you have fresh citrus with this bitter, with the with the citrus bitters, it provides a, an amazing combination of flavor. Um, and then we have two more. We have lavender vanilla, which is just incredible. I mean, floral touch of sweetness. The vanilla, I mean, is like uh, you know we bartenders treat bitters like their seasoning. Uh, right, and, and that's why you know, just to think you have a program specifically designed, again, to incorporate into your bar program, yeah. there's a lot of forethought. There's and, a lot of thought that's going into what you're putting in the cocktail glass. And that's one of the things I, I hope resonates with people and they understand yeah. what you're trying to accomplish, starting with the, the, the distilled spirit yeah. and then rising it and, and marrying flavors together. I, I mean, that's what I say when I, when I think – when I acknowledge the fact that we're lucky. We're craft cocktail bartenders that are on the same are on the same team as the distillers. So if we have a question about something, hey, how do we make this flavor work? You know, given that they have time, they can help us. So it's like, you know, there's tons of bars across the country that make their own bitters, they make their own cordials, and it's phenomenal. And I almost think that we need to, you know, whenever we put something out, we need to make sure it's in great because we have the distilling team behind us. So Jack is now helping us with orange liqueur, um, an Aperol style apertif, a Campari style apertif. We've got a gentian liqueur, which is kind of like a white bitter, like a more floral bitter. Um, and then we have barrel finished orange liqueur. So we have a bunch of stuff behind the bar that we use that is made lit at the distillery. Just um, for the cocktail program. Just for the cocktail. And then also the, the bartenders get to make bitters too. So we not necessarily the same pro, you know, process, but we've got whatever you can imagine. I mean, it's, it's like our spice cabinet. We smoke cinnamon, pink peppercorn, Black peppercorn. Uh, we tried to make a cheese one one time. It didn't turn out very well. <laughs> but, you know, we, that's the cool thing. We get to experiment and mess with flavors. Look, you can try it. See yeah. what happens. And if it works, you guys are, you know, on the forefront again. Hey, we have a cheese cocktail. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> on the forefront of cheese cocktails. I'll have that Roquefort gimmick, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why don't we try Let's start with your uh, Blue Coat American Dry Yeah, you want to give a taste? And, and let's talk about how, as, as a bartender... You're trying to create uh, cocktails around what's what's coming out of this still. Yeah, absolutely. So just going to give people a little bit of background about Blue Coat. So it comes, Blue Coat's again, served at 94 proof, but it's got a softer flavor profile. And the, in the way, I guess, here, cheers. Cheers to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. So the first thing I get on the nose is a little, that you get the juniper forward mm. on the nose, and then it softens with the um, citrus and then you get botanicals, I think, as it, as it lingers. Absolutely. 94 proof, it's not, really, it's not really ethanol in the nose. It's just enough to let you know you're drinking a spirit as far as what I can get. And I agree with you. And I think that's what makes Blue Coat special because London Dry Gin is phenomenal. And it's certainly like when you're wanting that very botanical-driven flavor, we have tons of examples of it. This is, a flavor, this is an example of now what we call the original American Dry Gin because... It set up a category. I mean, here's a London dry influence, but we've only got six botanicals. And traditionally, London Break dry... Break down the botanicals. Here we go. So, we have... You have to wrap them. <laughs> <laughs> that would be... We're going to lose all of our followers. Okay. Um, but we have... Uh, we've got six. We've got um, juniper, which is a bit softer and a bit more flavor... Or, excuse me, floral than traditional 
uh, varieties of juniper. This is one from Croatia. Okay. All the botanicals are 100% organic. The next one's coriander, the seed of cilantro. We have angelica root, which is the root of the celery plant. And then we have three citruses. So the cool thing about blue coat is that it blends these three citruses equal parts with juniper. So traditionally, a London dry gin is about 10 parts juniper, one part citrus. We are equal parts juniper to citrus. So we have a blend of organic lemon, organic um, orange, and then the only secret in our entire We're not telling anybody. Recipe. I know. We're not going to tell. I can't. <laughs> I can't. You know, it's funny because I do, it's almost like I get a little lavender on the nose. Yeah. And, and there's that floral that comes out. And that's probably just all the citrus working together. And that, that's the beautiful thing about distilled spirits is that you have these six ingredients, but you also have the base, the base you know, neutral grain spirit, we call it the ethanol. And then we proof it down with reverse osmosis water. So water that's just very, very filtered. It's meant to match the neutrality of the base spirit. So no mineral content. And this set of six flavors makes new flavors, which is what makes cocktails so special because you have, you know, three ingredients, but they taste like a completely new flavor. Same with distilled spirits. It's, it's interesting. I just, I just met with Bob Pino and he's with Gallows Hill Spirits and mm. he's big into craft brewing before he got into his distillery. Right. But he talks about, we, we were deconstructing things and I said, well, that tastes like that. He said, well, there's not that in there, but I can tell you. I have a sense of, I could tell you why when these two flavors come together, why you may be tasting that. Right. That's a whole different perspective than I ever have gotten sure. on, on trying to understand and, 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 and get a good flavor profile. I think that's, I think that probably the thing that we learned the most, and maybe, you know, next time we can have Jack on as he's walking by, but he'll be able to talk about like how he makes these bitters because all those flavors are separate, but when they come together, they may, obviously what we're talking about is they make a new flavor. So... That is understanding that flavor, being able to describe flavors is mostly about having the vocabulary about it. And that's what we've learned at the distillery. So what is it about, now as, as a bartender again, sure. what is it when you start to think about how you're constructing a cocktail out of that, what goes into it from your mind? What are you looking to enhance or um, just kind of take together and marry something together? Yeah, I think it depends on the objective of the cocktail. Most cocktails start as a classic ratio from an original. So, like, all cocktails come from the classic cocktails. Martini, Old Fashioned, Gimlet, Daiquiri, Tom Collins. And so, when we're making a new cocktail, that's our foundation most of the time, is talking about this flavor structure and how it works together and then what we want to highlight, what we want to be muted, what we want to be at the foundation of it. Luckily for us now, we can say after three years that our foundation's solid. We've got Blue Coat. And we've got the portfolio to work with. But um, when we're learning about how to make craft new cocktails, sometimes, you know, like a bartender will come in like, you know, Robin came in. I remember one one day and she's like, I had Thai food for the first time in a while. And it inspired her. She wanted to make something like that. I love that. So like that's That's awesome. It's 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 a back and forth. And we get to work with our awesome team and develop cocktails. and, And we also get to work with teams up and down Frankfurt Avenue and across the city. They're like, hey, we're working on this, and maybe you want to try it with Blue Coat, or maybe you want to try using your Amaro in place of this vermouth. And so that is probably the other added bonus of working for this company, that we get to work with other teams, which is my favorite part. I'm hearing you say Blue Coat, Blue Coat, Blue Coat. Sure. How did that name Blue Coat come about <laughs> from, from Philadelphia Distilling? Because you could have called it Philadelphia Distilling Gin. Sure. I mean, you could have called it something like that. Yeah. How did Blue Coat come about? It's a really, it's a unique story. So Andrew, like I said, he had that, um, that retail background and he was selling cosmetics and from the ground up. So he knew a lot about the market in terms of what works in the retail space. 
and blue is a fantastic color. And it all kind of came together uh, while he was starting the company. He was reading the biography of John Adams. And like I said, he's a huge history buff. He loves and is incredibly inspired by this, the founding of our country. And so he was reading it, and in it, it describes that all up and down the East Coast, there were these pockets, there was militias that weren't necessarily a part of the new revolutionary army, but they wanted to do their part for the new country. So they made themselves these like patchwork blue uniforms. And so this term became popular, this blue coats of these people that were going against the grain, that were doing their part for the revolution, and they were going against the red coats. And really for him, when they were starting this company with his nephew, the, the idea that they were fighting against this idea that London Dry Gin was the gin. It was the red coat. Wow, you're, you're, you're reenacting the Revolutionary War again, but with gin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's, it's, a, it's a fun story to tell on the, on the tour because people can, obviously, it's very different context is what I like to say is starting a, a company with your nephew and founding a country. But the idea was that they were fighting against a similar idea. I mean, Andrew tells a story all the time that in, during the Revolutionary War, you know, everyone in Britain is kind of like, yeah, sure, go ahead. That's going to be a great idea. Try and start your own country. And that was the thing that he was met with, with a lot of people was, sure, that's going to be great. You're going to make a gin company? Go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. Have fun with it. It's going to be great. And so he found this term in this book, um, John Adams, and he completely identified with it. He knew the bottle was going to be blue. It made sense. It fit with what he was passionate about. And from the beginning, they decided that they were going to make a company that the juice had to be good. That's what, you know, the spirit had to be good. And we had to be obviously the mo- at the forefront of what the company was w- working on. But the branding also had to meet up with something that they were passionate about. And he's always been passionate about history. And it just kind of made sense. The story, I think, is also it, it, everything it sounds to me like from the planning to where we are today, everything is thought out. Mm. Obviously, things just happen and they work out. Yeah. But there's its attention to detail is really what continues to come out from the story to what's distilled to the cocktail program, Thank to you. the bar, to what else is being put in and brought together. And I think that's, it's, I, and it's a beautiful blue bottle. Yeah. I mean, the blue is just, it's stunning. And it's something you can, I mean, it's, it's nice for people to get behind. And we're lucky that a lot of, we call them our super fans. They really love the bottle. And we get these amazing photos. There's one of um, a guy, his name is Joe. He, he lives in Fishtown now, but his, uh, his aunt, him and their whole family are regulars and we do it every year we do an earth day return so if you bring back a bottle to the distillery we give you three dollars to spend in the store um for every bottle you bring back okay. on, on earth day we give you six dollars per bottle and so we just missed this well we, yeah we missed it um which is obviously unfortunate but you have a whole year to save up bottles, Good. Okay. so there we go um but this year we obviously couldn't um do a physical return so we asked our 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 guests to take photos of all their bottles and it's amazing. I mean, people have made whole bar setups around it. People, they, Joe was in his uh, bed with a bed full of blue coat bottles and his dog. And it was, I mean, it's, it's really, really cool to see these people and how much they love the thing that is our labor of love. Well, it's, I, I think that's a tribute again to what everybody is really focused on and trying to give the customer the best experience possible Yeah, that, that really comes out. I mean, that's, that's always been my experience coming here. From everybody we met, Thank it, you. the goal is saying, "Hey, come on in. You're you're not pretentious. You're just saying we make great cocktails in a great space. You're going to be comfortable. Check out the still, learn the story, and just just tell your friends." We're happy that I mean I can't tell you how good it is to hear that. I mean that's been the goal from day one. Strip the pretension away. Make good drinks. 
make people, you know, fall in love with what we're doing here every day. And I'm Which glad. is one of the things I like about the craft distilling industry. I mean, yeah. craft beers too, but specifically craft distilling industry that it's welcoming. It's open. Mm. It's sometimes I think it's, it's, it's hard to approach because there's this level of expectation of what you're going to experience. Right. Um, but it just doesn't come out here. The second bottle that you have, yeah. which one did you want to try to taste now? So let's do, let's try, I want to end with our last expression that, you know. The elderflower. The elderflower. So I want to taste barrel finished right now. Okay. Um, I mean, for disclosure, this is my favorite. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm glad we're tasting it now. Yeah, this is. Uh, this is one, this is the first barrel rested gin, the first barrel aged gin I had. Um, and awesome. it just, it just knocked my socks off. And I, I almost, you know, I would say, and it's funny because. Dawn, you know, from an adventure and Dawn, as we go around and can't wait to get back to visiting people. Yeah. But this is what we compare when we go to, you know, hey, we have a barrel age finish. And we always say, is this as good as Blue Coast? Oh, my God. Or Thanks. It's, it's good, you know, or it's just as good. I don't know if we've ever said it's better. <laughs> <laughs> but it, this is this just knocked my socks well, off. I cheers. Love I, you know, cheers to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, just keep cheering and the cheer in the day. Away. You got it. Cheers, man. So, the, so, so what the barrel does is it, it really smooths everything out. And, and talk about the barrels. Talk about the program. What made you decide to put the gin in barrels to begin with? Yeah, it's a beautiful spirit born of a mistake. So the Blue Coat uh, distillers one day missed their cut. So whenever we, you know, when we talk about distilling, you have cuts. And so you have the head. I know, it's just delicious, right? Oh. It's so good. Um, you, they missed their cut. So they wound up with a batch of Blue Coat that... That didn't necessarily taste like blue coat, tastes blue coat like, just off. And so they decided, as opposed to throwing away 1,500 bottles of gin, let's put some of it into a barrel and just so, see what happens. So it had a little bit of the tails left in it? Yeah, exactly. Okay. I think that they missed their, their end cut. Um, but they threw it in a barrel just to see what happened. And our head distiller, Aaron, used to work at Epic Brewing um, in Salt Lake City, Utah. And he was their barrelman. He led up that project for them. And so he was one of the projects that he was most passionate about, but they took it out of the barrel after a few months and they absolutely loved what they tasted. And so we work with a company called ISC, Independent Stave Company, they're one of the largest barrel producers in the world. Um, and we, the goal here always is to make approachable spirits, but for Blue Coat, we, we love the foundation. We love those characteristics. So we didn't want to make a gin that tasted like a whiskey. We wanted to make a gin that was barrel finished. So uh, we use new American oak barrels. Nothing's been in them before. We get them at a medium char. So it's a char level of, level of three. Only 30 seconds of that cooper hitting it with a flamethrower. Um, and then we get them here. We use them twice. So we age blue coat in the barrels for three to five months at 120 proof. We take that out, put a new distillation in the same barrel, the same proof, for five to eight months. And then we take that So then out. you're blending the two together. So you're getting 100%. the residual of what's still left in the barrel. Right. It's probably not going to be as strong, and you're able to bring that down and marry the two together. It's like, you know, searing a steak and then finishing in the oven. You get two different, you know, flavors. So it's the same idea here is that the first use, you get a lot more of the char. You get a lot more of the, the caramelization from the barrel. The second use, it has time to permeate through that char. So it hits the raw oak. You get a lot of the earthiness and the savory notes. I love yeah. the earthiness that sits on the back of the mm. tongue. I just yeah. love I just so one of the things that really stands out to me is especially as you talk about the craft distilled spirit industry, but when you talk about the gin, I mean we're talking a lot about cocktails, we're talking about a lot about your cocktail program, but not to get lost in the fact that this is a really nice sipping gin. Yeah. You can do this neat, 
you can add a little ice to it. I mean, we're drinking it out of the uh, bottle yeah, right now. Yeah, I mean, it's not anything where you have to run out and say, well, I, I, I can't drink this without tonic. I can't drink this without some sort of lemon, lime, citrus, or anything else. I can drink this straight all day. That's Maybe the... that's what Joe's doing in his bed with all those bottles. <laughs> exactly. Um, that was good. The, I mean, probably my favorite face that we see at the distillery is the face of our tour guests when we come up here to where we are now and pour out the, the tastes for them because they're tasting gin neat and it's obviously room temperature. And so they're like, wait, we're taking shots. And then we go through the idea that, well, we're going to taste these spirits and you don't necessarily need anything else. And for a lot of people, it's their first time doing that. So walking someone through how to taste something and what maybe they should be looking Can for. Can you imagine, Kenyon, if, if, if you had a philosophy of drinking wine that way? Sure. Like I couldn't, I couldn't drink wine unless it had some sort of mixer in it. Right. Exactly. It's a, it's a different, it's a different, obviously, whole thing. I think that people, you know, we can go talk all day about how you know things are introduced to us in our lives, but certainly gin wasn't something that someone poured for me neat and said, "Enjoy this." No, that was a scotch, a whiskey, right? You know, some sort of bourbon, something like that. Maybe a rum if you were lucky, but even rum seen that same kind of rebirth as far as the gin, the gin scene as well. Yeah. This is my favorite way to drink barrel finished is neat. And then, you know, maybe after my couple seven second sips, I throw some ice in there. Okay. Yeah. That's my way to go. <laughs> or a Negroni. But, you know, we'll leave that for later. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, this is, this is that benchmark where I stop and say, has it hit that? Where is it at? It's just an experience. I mean, you really do get a wonderful oak flavor to it. Yeah. It takes away some of the juniper it just it just really comes off as a wonderful, delicious I, thank I love you. it. I mean, we're, again, very lucky and also to have the distillers that we do, Aaron, Ryan, Nick, Olivia, Jack, the whole bottling team. I mean, everybody does such a good job and it's it shows in the spirits because this is a gin that is barrel finished. It's not a gin that tastes like a whiskey. It's not a whiskey that tastes like a gin. And for us behind the bar, we get to use this in so many different ways. Um, but for a lot of people, the idea that gin can be not clear is another hunk again, to get philosophically, over. Philosophically, I don't see what I see. I don't know if I want to like that. I mean, the same thing with your elderflower, right? right? Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's more of like a, um, a nice, soft yellow um, color to it. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of you know what I would say that that's comparable to. We say like straw. Like a lemon. Like or a hay. Yeah, like yeah. the outside of a lemon or a straw or hay. Oh, absolutely. So let's try that. Sure. And, and talk about, I mean, obviously, we're in the midst of um, coronavirus. Yeah. We're about... Um, eight weeks into uh, you know our our, our um, way of life changing for sure and and how is that in you know so to talk about what Philadelphia Distilling is doing talk about how yeah. that's affected you and and what you're doing well to be honest Rich I mean we, we're lucky I, I feel like I've said that a million times but we are able to sell our bottles we're able to sell our spirits and that didn't happen initially it I'm didn't sorry. happen right off the bat no we you know. It was something that we had to pivot quickly, make sure we could do it safely. I think that's the game for everybody is figure out how we can, unfortunately, like, you know. I mean, we had to figure out how to put a, a glass up between us and, right. and masks and a hazard suit. Uh, and you know, being six <laughs> feet away is, is even awkward for conversations. But, I mean, it's the new normal. It's what we're all used to. And so, for us, like, downstairs, we decided we were going to sell our bottles and we're going to make our bar team who has, and myself and our GM, Barry, like, you know, we don't necessarily have any experience in this and neither does Andrew, but they, under their leadership, I mean, we were able to create this whole new system. 
one of our bartenders, Robin, significantly stepped up and was able to take on a management position of a completely new process that didn't exist. So now, I mean, you have to think about logistically how you're going to have people drive up, get not get out of their car, everything, and 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 ordering and making appointments. It's it's something that just kind of was dropped on your lap that you never really would have spent time to think about. It was definitely, yeah. I mean, we were able to pivot quickly, and it was largely in part to Andrew, Barry, Robin, and our team. Um, so the good news is, you're okay. We're good. Philadelphia Distilling will continue to produce some great spirits. Absolutely. And when we come back, which we will come back. Of course. You've got some activities here at the distillery. What can people expect when they do get a chance to come back? So right now, just to kind of touch on it a little bit, if you live in PA, we're lucky that we can ship $10 flat rate to anywhere in, in PA. We are offering curbside pickup through our same online store, and we're also offering local delivery too. So if you live within a certain zip code range, we're paying, we're able to pay someone on our staff to deliver them safely to you. Um, and there's like very detailed, very easily, you know, accessible instructions. Which is great because initially the, the, the state stores, the wine and spirit stores are closed. Right. And now they're open. Yeah. But I think there's still some challenges to get through to them and be able to buy stuff, which you guys are well, well stocked in the Philadelphia state stores as well. The Pennsylvania state stores is Pennsylvania state stores. It's good to hear. I mean, we... Yeah, we wanted to be as available as possible, and also we were able to, you know, keep our employees hired and able to hire some more people to help with this effort. Um, but when we come back, we're looking at some really, we're instituting some really, you know, fundamental changes to our program. We want to be able to make sure that everyone's as safe as possible. To be totally honest with you, we are planning. We don't necessarily know exactly how that's going to look. I don't think necessarily anyone does, but for us in the front of house. Um, we're working on a contactless payment system. We're looking at changing our our whole POS system so that we can work off of uh, tablets that will enable us to take orders and will enable us to limit the amount of contact that we have on during the shift. Um, we're looking at being you know moving our menu to online. Like our inspiration was Martha down the street, um, so that potentially obviously this is all we're still working this out however the goal the, the fascinating thing about this is yeah. it's it's a challenge that nobody ever thought they would have to deal with mm -hmm. and now you can either do one or two things you can stop and say poor us this sucks we don't know what's going to happen or you can say let's kind of think about all the scenarios yeah. and investing in every opportunity so when we come back online your guest has a great same great experience yeah. they're going to feel safe and not only for the guests, but for your staff as well. That's also important. It's key. It's the only way that we'll be able to open. And we're lucky that we have also, like, the industry strong. We have leaders in the industry that are putting forth a voice that we can follow. Contactless payment, you know, disposable menus, changing the floor plan so we're able to seat less people, but also give them the same experience. Um, we're lucky that we also have a fourth floor. So potentially we'll be able to open the fourth floor and spread people out so that they have a different experience. We're working on changing a lot of things about how we present ourselves, uh, maybe our uniform, maybe things that will come off maybe a little bit more casual because we're going to have to wear masks and we don't want people to think, you know, I have to come to this place and get dressed to the nines because we've always been the place that you can either get dressed up or come in. Oh, yeah. You, you, can, you can come here before a show, before a nice dinner, exactly. dressed up really well. I mean, you can, I mean, if you're talking about, we're, we're, this is a tourist area. Right. You could be walking all day in shorts and a t-shirt, yeah. come in here and feel just as comfortable sitting next to somebody, you know, in a nice jacket and nice, yeah. nice, nice dress and stuff like that. And we always want to, we, we always want to facilitate that. And we're working on 
potentially offering um, virtual tours of the distillery as well as like obviously limited tours. Uh, we're thinking about every single part of the process. Uh, how many people we can have behind the bar, how many people we can seat at the bar, how operations are going to look, how people are going to pay, um, everything. That's great. Yeah. And, and it's exciting. I mean, yeah. it's it's weird to kind of talk about the fact that you have to reinvent or rethink everything through the process, but I think it's still exciting to know yeah. that at some point we're going to be able to come back out. And, and I think for me and a lot of people I talk to, and I'm sure you too, it's missing the socialization it's missing the camaraderie. It's missing just sitting down and having a cocktail or watching people yeah. have that experience. Now, you've got a different role right now yeah. where you're transitioning to also. Talk about the role that you have with, with what you're doing now. Um, so, I mean, even briefly before we go there, just really quickly, I, the, the, the strong thing is that everyone is dealing with the same yep. constraints yep. so that we, we can bounce ideas back off of the Philadelphia industry. We can share best practices. We can do what make, you know, makes the most sense. Sorry, going back That's to my okay. new role. So the new role, I have been fortunate to be able to grow with this company. I started as a bartender, moved as the head bartender through to the bar manager. After a week. After a week. <laughs> after a week. And uh, it's a company that fosters growth from within, and it's it's always been. So now I am working uh, split time between Philadelphia Distilling and our parent company, Sansom and Surrey. So it's an unbelievably beautiful company of six distilleries that are all... Now they are independent, but and, and now we're all a, a distillery family, um, and I'm a portfolio brand ambassador. So I'm a brand ambassador for all six distilleries, but I will be based here in Philadelphia, and I'll be splitting my time between the operations here at the distillery, the um, portfolio brand ambassadorship, and then also working, luckily, with uh, our national accounts. Real fast. Yeah. The other, the six distilleries are? Here we are. Bren, which is a single malt whiskey out of Cognac, France. Unbelievable. Few spirits out of Evanston, Illinois. They're the first distillery in Evanston since Prohibition, similar to us. We have Widow Jane, which is an uh, amazing whiskey distillery out of Red Hook, Brooklyn. And we have two agave-based spirits. We have Tequila Ojo, which is the only single estate tequila company in the entire world. It's an incredible, incredible story. We're probably going to have to do a whole podcast dedicated to just them. Uh, and then similarly to Mezcal Vago, uh, the coolest part about this company is that each of these distilleries has a similar story to Andrew's. It's a, an effort that was born out of passion. And each one of these companies, which is the reason why we're all together, is a true example of a successful example of whatever they're trying to do. So we have three whiskey distilleries, two agave, and we're the craft brand, craft gin for the brand. You know, I, I think one of these that stands out is the reason why you've been here and been able to grow the company is there's a passion that comes out of what you talk about. And even as you start Thanks. talking about the different distilled spirits that come out of these, yeah, it's exciting for you, for somebody that at a decision, a point of deciding, I could be traveling throughout the world and having a great time because I know you're going to have a great time wherever you go. But look... Did you ever expect that now you have all these relationships and, and, and a way to express yourself and get to learn and understand more about what other people do and have those experiences? As a professional experience, it's been the most rewarding in my life. I can't tell you how amazing it is to be a part of a team that's now globally oriented globally, but it's a small team. We have a Zoom every uh, Wednesday, a little happy half hour, and there's people, uh, Salva in Barcelona, uh, Chris and t I mean there's just people from all over the world that are coming in and they're all just as passionate as I am and that we are here and growing into this new team and kind of bringing our local little front of house operation into this larger company 
uh, has been one a project that is I've been waiting to do. So it's it's been it's been a great experience so far. I love it. So right now we have the elderflower yeah. here. Um, again, very floral. Mm. And we've had a chance to let it sit here and breathe a little bit. Sure. So some of that ethanol, some of the the, the, the alcohol, and this is again the ninety four proof. Yep. So it's the same thing, but you just get a nice floral note to this. Now. This is unique because this was a distillery-only release. This was intended to be a one-bash. We're going to make it. When it's done, it's done. And this is Blue Coat that comes off of the still. So when Blue Coat comes off the still, it's 150 proof-ish. Right. Um, very hot. And so what we did was um, Ryan, one of our distillers, he really headed up this program. He macerated organic elderflower, dried elderflower from Croatia, the same place we get our juniper, like in a tea bag. Well, you just blew up the Croatian economy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a it's a source of pretty amazing botanicals. Um, What's up with all these? Ju- I don't even know if this is the right accent. What's up with all these juniper and elderflower going to Philadelphia? What's up with that? I wish I, I knew. somebody from Croatia is going to write me a nasty note or email. Now. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll send him a bottle of blue coat. Um, so this is a maceration pro- uh, process after it's distilled. Okay. So still proof. They take a tea bag that's like the size of you or me, filled with organic elderflower, and they let it steep in there for about two weeks, and so. Those flavors that you get from those processes are mutually exclusive. So in other words, if we distill with the elderflower, we get a completely different flavor. Absolutely. So now that we're letting it sit, as you know, like afterwards, it gives you a completely different bouquet. It mutes maybe some of the more drying botanicals, like the angelica. This and the does juniper. come off more dry mm, yeah. than anything, the, you know, the other two. I, I really get more of a dry finish to it. And I, I'm sure that's, when you think about tea... Mm. There, there. You know, when you, I guess there's some, there's some, there's some twigs and some things in the elderflower that come off there. That I think that's probably creating that dryness to it. You bring up a good point, which is we use the whole flower. So there's a lot of companies that just use the petals, right? And they're after that very specific floral flavor. And and our head distiller Aaron, uh, <laughs> I like to make fun of him because he says elderflower is an underutilized flower. So they're using the whole flower. So you do get some of that vegetal quality, some of the wooden, woody, you know, more earthy, more woody quality. Yeah, I really think you do. Yeah, no, absolutely, it comes through. Um, we like to make simple cocktails with this. I mean, elderflower comes through in French 75s, Vespers, Martinis. It's a, it's an awesome spirit. So what haven't I asked you that you want to share with anybody, everybody? What, what should other people know? What, what maybe I missed? I think one thing that we always try to say here at the distillery is that uh, a cocktail is, if it's in a glass and it tastes good, it's a cocktail. There doesn't need to be any pretension behind it at all. And as long as you're using the freshest ingredients you can, it's going to taste good. Um, we always try to spread that message. Um, when we are able to host guests again, we will, are going to continue to go out of our way to make sure that the experience is as similar to it was when it, you know, when they were here before. And um, if they have, if anyone has any questions about cocktails, spirits, uh, or anything regarding any part of our process. Please follow us on Instagram uh, and also myself on Instagram at Distilled Craft because every week we post cocktail videos. Yeah, you got you down at the beach down making at the cocktails. Beach. <laughs> now, my brother joined in and now he's, uh, like I said, he's a ballet dancer, so he's doing ballerino at the bar, making fun cocktail videos. Um, but really, this is meant to be something that you enjoy. Either you enjoy by yourself you know, or you enjoy with friends. So we want people to make sure they're doing that. If they have any questions, let us know. So website is Philadelphia Distilling. We have PhiladelphiaDistilling.com. Right. We have Blue Coat Gin. So the, the website to buy our products, if you live in PA, is 
bluecoatgin.store. Okay. And then that also has a link to everything, to our Philadelphia distilling site, to our Bluecoat site, to all the other spirits in there. Um, and if anyone has any questions about the uh, other spirits in our portfolio, the other distilleries we mentioned, we might have to do another podcast. Oh, well, I think we've got five more planned because you got five more distilleries to yeah, talk about. Although, let's do it. Um, knowing Widow Jane and, and the great stuff that uh, they're just amazing and uh, Incredible. Th- that, that kind of stands on its own. And I'm looking to learn more about the other distilleries in the portfolio. Yeah. So, this has just been great. I'm, I'm so grateful for your time. I know how hard we've worked to try to make this happen. Yeah. And uh, just, just to sit down and talk about all things Philadelphia Distilling and Blue Coat. It's great. Uh, you guys, your team, um, you know, from Rob and Andrew and, and everybody putting this together from the inception, you're leading a revolution. And I don't see it stopping here. And I'm excited to see what the future looks like and, and how you kind of take on the whole craft distilling industry. And as, as people follow you, go with you, um, you know, I, I would say, Canyon, that, you know, it, it's been a pleasure getting to know you. It really has. And, 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 and as a face of, I think we met you the first time we walked in here for a cocktail. And yeah. it's, it's almost like you become really fast friends with people. And, and you walk in and go, oh, I feel comfortable. Even though we may only come a couple times a year, yeah. we really you, you guys make us feel comfortable. So really appreciate the time, and, 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 and this has been great for us. Absolutely. I can't tell you how uh, thankful I am to hear that. So we look forward to seeing you again soon. And, Definitely. Uh, let's just keep making great cocktails and great, uh, great distilled spirits. I love it. All Anytime right. you want. Thanks, man. Cheers.